My name is Dimitri, and I'm a productivity and minimalism enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and ethics enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets philosophy. And what it means to build a better life. Enjoy the show. If you're listening to this, you are not on our private subscriber feed, and you will only be hearing a portion of this episode. If you'd like to listen to the full-length episode, you'll need to go to riseproductive.com membership or sign up on your favorite podcasting app for exclusive access. From there, you'll also get access to our exclusive newsletter, the weekly pour-over, our private members-only Slack community, and any other subscriber-only content. So if you enjoy what we are doing here, please consider becoming a member. Man, it's been a weird week. First of all, I had to leave. You know, I'm at home now. And it's just been different. It's been different being at home. Not, you know, not necessarily bad, uh, but it's been different than being with the boys. And you got these YouTube channel analytics just going nuts. I got home. 20? And it said... 4K more than usual? In what? The past 30 uh, days? 20, well, that's... Days? It's, no, that's not... Okay, so... <laughs> this is in July so far. We're, we're on the 29th and today's the 30th. So... Damn. Look at this. So we're at 45Ks this month and look at this last 24 hours or 48 hours and I had 20, 2,700 yesterday. So I'm going to have another 2,300 today. Dude, I'm going to almost hit 50K this month. Yeah, 50K, that's nuts. And this past week, and I'm going to have another day that'll be more than this. So that'll be about 14.5, 15K in a week. I mean, if you average that per week next month, you're well over 50. Yeah. Dude, it's been crazy. I got home and everything's just gone absolutely bonkers. Um, I don't even know how to describe anything besides thank you. I mean... I'm starting to see some of that, that sweet, sweet uh, curvature. That sweet, as, sweet as curvature. It were. That sweet, sweet curvature, as it were. Um, still got another few days in the month, and like this is, <laughs> this is just ridiculous. I don't know. All right, that was that was my beginning. Uh, my beginning. How am I doing? I'm, I'm freaking out. <laughs> freaking out right now. I'm freaking out. I'm so scared of what's going on in my life right now. It's just like. <laughs> Do you remember when we sat down in like September last year? And I was like, it was here. Yeah. And I saw the vision in my head. I was like, chance. If I keep this up, dude, this is going to be 10 X where I was at in September. And it's true. 10 X. It's amazing. I, um, just work hard and good things will happen. Just like with our podcast, uh, we got a new person uh, as a member of the community. And I want to say thank you to Michael. You know who you are. If I said the wrong name just now, that is the most embarrassing thing in the history of podcasting. How are you? I'm doing well. I also want to thank Michael or whatever his name is, our first member of the community. Thank you for yeah, Michael. <laughs> thank you for joining Michael. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening into the podcast. It's good to be back. The YouTube channel is going crazy. The podcast has been going crazy. I don't know if we even said anything last time we recorded, oh, but yeah. but 361 a couple weeks ago was the highest week we've had. And it was coincidentally when we were living together. I mean, we kind of had also our second highest week ever a couple weeks later. Also, when we were living together. So it's kind of like, oh, okay. 
What does this mean? So, something something likes that we're back together. Something in the cosmos, the algorithm. But um, yeah. Well, I mean, we almost had a cave uh, listens. Yeah. It's crazy. Sorry. Yeah, no, that, too much analytics to talk about. Too much Sorry. analytics. Too much vanity analytics. Vanity metrics. Um, I am doing well. Uh, I just got back from a what was short but felt like a long trip to Omaha slash Denver. Um, kind of doing some stuff with the with the girlfriend and her family. I went on a little little family trip to Denver. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Aside from the car breaking down, which was a learning lesson for for everyone. Um, Everybody. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, but other than that, I mean, yeah, I came back and I got a little injured. I got a little Achilles thing flaring up. Same thing I've dealt with for yeah. over four years now, so I'm not terribly worried about it. Going to take the weekend off and then I'll be back at it. Hopefully here soon, knock on wood. But um, yeah, aside from that, I'm done with work. Going to Minnesota here in a week. So we're just kind of oh, yeah. cruising into the last part of the summer here before we got... Uh, Law school starting in like 17 days now, something like that. The 15th is the orientation. It's the 30th now. So yeah, a little over two weeks. Looking forward to it, but uh, equally scared and stressed at the same time. So we're loving it. You're going to do swell. It's going to be a good time. The law school is going to be not a cakewalk by any means, but I think you'll, you'll do, you'll surprise yourself. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. How are you? Uh, how are you doing, Dimitri? Um, outside of me just brain dumping about my analytics, I think you know I went to watch the World Track Championships, which was probably the coolest experience I've had in a long time. I hadn't been on vacation in um, God, how long is it? I haven't been on like a trip in like three years, four years. And my parents and I, um, prior to college, especially, we took a trip on a plane to somewhere tropical. 13 to 14 years of the years I was at home until I was 18. Mm-hmm. So it's been really weird to not go anywhere for a long time. And my dad and I went to Eugene, Oregon. We watched the World Track Championships. So it was really fun having him there. Uh, I watched the 1500 final in person. I watched the Men 400 Hurdles final in person, which was crazy. And then the next night I watched the Steeple Women's final and a lot of other good prelims. Ah, man, did you see how good Sydney McLaughlin ran in the 400? Oh, hurdles? so crazy. Absolutely insane. I can't get over how good we are in the sprints right now. Oh, I mean, it was just like a magical world championship in Eugene with us sweeping the one and two, winning the four. It was so special. Yeah, it was so special. I mean, that's happened. Um, that's the first time in over a century it's happened to any country. And I think it's perfect because we've never hosted it and we probably won't host it for a while. So it was just like, yep, we showed up when it mattered. Um, except for the men's 800 crew, you all ran like gar- garbage. Um, That's not new. That was just what happened at the Olympics too. It's miserable. Like, I'm just going to say it how it is. You know, I don't think it's bad when Josh Kerr says that the middle distance guys in the U.S. don't race well and they're kind of wimps when it comes to racing. Like, he's not wrong. No, I mean, he definitely had a point. It's the second time <laughs> like, that we kind of choked it here. Um, I feel bad for Donovan. I think he's been hurt, but all the other guys like just kind of didn't. Anyways, um, that's track. We run in an oval. Found out that the guy who is the new member, actually, his biggest thing that he wanted to hear more from us was managing school and running and like how to manage like the healthy lifestyle that we do, which I think is something interesting that 
both of us take for granted. Um, you know, like we're both very healthy and productive individuals at the same time, which is not average, I'd say, in today's society. Yeah, it's definitely true. I think um, it does kind of pull up and opposite ends of the strings at, at times. I don't always see it that way because I kind of think they can feed into each other if you do it the right way. But um, mm. yeah, yeah, it can be tough. And so well, yeah, we should make an episode about that. I didn't realize that that's something he wanted to hear. Yeah, no, it'll be, I think it'll be good. Um, the only other thing in my life is that, I don't know, like I had some suspicious things happening on some of my accounts. Mm. Uh, I, th- I thought I had some people prompting my uh, multi-fa- uh, two-factor authentication on some things. And I was going the route of having the same password on most things, but nah, then I went and got LastPass and now I'm all good. I have like everything different with a very large set of different passwords and they're all like random numbers and uh, pound signs and ats and stuff that the thing generated for me that are like 30 characters long. Um, oh, nice. And this, the new master password I have has a joke in it. That's really good. I'm not going to obviously read it, but I have it in front of me and it's, I'm trying to see how many characters it is. Cause I think it's even close to like 30 plus characters. I wrote it myself uh, for the new master password and I will remember it cause it's internalized, but like even that one, I'm not taking a risk for Cause the master password is kind of weird. They also need to two factor authenticate. So it's not like they could get in with just the password. I, I got really spooked recently. Um, you, you just hate to see people trying to log into things like your bank account. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's super sauce. And you had that thing when you were here. Yeah, someone ripped my debit card off when we were out and about. I think somebody scanned me or something. And I'm just kind of, I don't know why people are doing this in the world. Because um, all you got to do is listen to personal finance podcast episodes <laughs> like this one. <laughs> it was the best segue. <laughs> personal finance podcast episodes like this one. And you'll never need to rip people off again, I guess. Um, yeah, exactly. Just like be better. <laughs> <laughs> just, Just be better. Um, no, but seriously, hopefully if you guys are dealing with cybersecurity problems, um, get last pass and like get it off your mind because three, $4 a month is worth it. It's only four for me cause I got the business version so that I'll probably add chance on just one or an extra person on so that we can do a shared folder situation for when I get an admin that also isn't chance. Um, so it's very easy for us to share passwords and it's not all the same one cause I don't want anybody hacking my, yeah. my business. Trust no one. Yeah. Trust no one. Hashtag, hashtag I only trust you, but also you can't sign into the admin at Rise Productive Account anymore if you didn't notice. Um, yeah, I haven't noticed because I am I just got my new laptop. Oh, yeah, dude, you got a laptop. Yeah, I got the new laptop. It came, I unboxed it, and a couple of the lads were there, and also my girlfriend saw it, and they were all like, this is such a nice-looking laptop. It's smaller, looks sleek. It's going to be good. I actually haven't, like, turn it on yet because when I turn it on I know I'm going to spend hours looking at it and so like I need to like carve out that time in my life and since I just got back I haven't done it yet it arrived while I was on vacation but um very yeah. excited to get into that and the first thing we're going to do is log in to all this rice productive stuff and download notion and um get kind of onboarded with that stuff that, that'll be exciting exciting stuff and you know what else is exciting enthusiast quotes of the week so we got this one coming at you from Amelia Earhart the most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. And the reason I have this one is because I'm having a lot of like life, uh, as my mom would say, transactional time period in my life. There's a lot of different things changing, like whether it be personal finance or 
friendships or even other relationships, not that anything's happening for me, sad boy hours, but like just the fact that a lot of things are happening in your early 20s. And it prompts me to do a lot of research on personal finance topics. And while we are not financial advisors, I am related to one. So I get a lot of good inside scoop information. (laughs) Um, Well, not insider trading, because that's a bad term. But no, like inside, like really good information from somebody who actually deals with the stuff. So um, he shoots me down if I say something stupid or not, which is great. Um, basically, I think we're going to tackle this in a few different ways. Uh, home ownership is a thing people talk about often, and car ownership is a big thing to people talk about often. And I think it's good if we tackle these two because these are the two biggest expenses you'll have in your life. And they really go well together as well if you're getting insurance. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive. <laughs> you know, we were drafting titles for the, the, the name of this one. I was like, what about home and auto? <laughs> Demetri just started dying it. laughing. So um, it's going to be a good one here. Uh, yeah, I think these are, like you said, it's interesting that you're in like a transactional period. I almost want to call it like a transition period because you're like. Oh, it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You're making like, it's a trade off and I guess it is monetary. So maybe transaction is good too, but it's also just like a. Deciding which kind of mental shift you want to make. You want to buy, you want to rent, you want to own a car, you want to not own a car. Like those are going to put you in very different, not only financial situations, but psychological. And so I think we're going to dive into a little bit of both, kind of the more monetary risk benefits of both. And then also some of the, uh, just some of the uh, other like mental and like psychological things to think about as well. Um, but yeah, this is more so for Dimitri. This is a little more geared yeah. towards you. I mean, I have certain perspectives and so I'll add something here, but um, you are the guy who's out of college and in the working world and um, <laughs> making a lot of moves as of late versus me who's... um Waiting. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm like still in school, but it's like law school, but like I'm still running. So it's kind of like I'm still an undergrad. Yeah, it's it's kind of... It's kind of different when you're in school, but even I think it's good for people to probably see this kind of stuff so that they know what to expect when they get into it. So Absolutely. Dang it. Every time I say into it, now I think of something else for certain reasons. (laughs) Um, So when it comes to home ownership, I think just to start off and, and hedge, home ownership, generally speaking, pretty good idea. It's a, it's a vehicle to, force you to save money that then you're able to extract by selling the house later on and or continuing to rent it um, and make money off of that. And it decreases your housing prices, generally speaking, versus renting. But uh, I just wanted to bring up some interesting things that have piqued, you know, my sort of research into homeownership and, and the fact that rents are pretty high right now. It's true, but home ownership is, is difficult to get into right now. And there's actually a pretty big misconception when it comes to owning a home in the fact that it is monetarily always the right thing to do. Um, so essentially speaking, from a, from a financial standpoint, if you compare a home price, like size-wise, you know, you take square footage of something and it's uh, 1,000 square feet and you take the home value and you use something called the 5% rule, you can kind of do a break-even point on uh, whether you should rent or not. So I want to start at the beginning and say that is an idea that exists. But I think a cool segue to begin with is the fact that a lot of people my age, um, and Chance's age as well, 
are kind of unaware of the fact that we are in a historically low time period for interest rates. Like you see this graph, right, Chance? What do you what do you think when you see this graph? I think that in the short term, you know, things aren't the best, but for the last little bit, things have been pretty way better than they used to be in the previous millennium. Yeah. So essentially there's a graph that you can look up anywhere. Just look up historical mortgage rates over time. And even in the last 30 years from 71 to, or sorry, 50 years from, I don't know why it says a 30 year graph. This is a 50 year graph. <laughs> um, Jesus, who, who wrote this graph? Yeah, that's poor. Um, it's 71 from 1971 to 1920 or 2021. This graph shows that we started out in 71 with about 7.7% uh, mortgage rate. And then now we're at five and a half ish is the average mortgage rate um, standard there, obviously, assuming you have good credit. And when you see what happened in the 80s when inflation was really bad, obviously, it was crazy. I think my mom said that her dad bought a house with a 16% mortgage. Um, yeah, something stupid. But historically speaking, we were at ridiculously low rates. If you recall, our former college coach refinanced both of his condos for like 2% during the middle of the pandemic. And at the time, I didn't appreciate that for what it was, but that's insane. Oh, yeah. um, he's sitting pretty right now on that, for sure. <laughs> and I say this also because in the last 20 years, the appreciation rate of, or not 20 years, more like 16. So post-08 crisis, appreciation of houses has never been higher and the mortgage rates have never been lower therefore people in our generation even people in their young 30s or early 40s do not fully appreciate the fact that housing should not be this cheap from a mortgage perspective like it is a bad market now but historically speaking it is still very good and that is why we often vilify renting even more so than other generations probably but even though homeownership's always been kind of a big thing so maybe that's a harsh statement yeah and so like it kind of makes sense why people want to vilify renting i think we'll get into some of the reasons why you maybe should think twice about vilifying it i think i actually want to pull some stuff from an ali abdel video when we get to that point but yeah the video that he yeah. broke down why yeah, well, yeah that, i was good. just actually looking it up it was called uh why buying a house might not be worth it it was actually a really nice video but um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you make a good point at first that like appreciating values up, mortgage rates, the average in the past 50 years is 7.7. .7, and right now this graph is looking like six. Maybe it's a little bit higher because it doesn't have 2022 on there right now. But um, even if it's above 7.7 .7 right now, I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know. It's, it's sick. It's five and a half. It's five and a half. Right okay. Yeah. So, I mean, like still below the average of the past 50 years. And it's like, yeah, it's still pretty good. So like there's there's <laughs> some solid reasons to hate on renting, but it's not the full picture of things. Mhm. Mm uh and I think what was really good in Ali Abdel's video is that he talked about the psychological side of things too, which um as a person who is very spreadsheet focused on their personal finance, I think it's important to always remember the the psychological side of it. Do you want to deal with the fact that you have this giant debt over your head? Do you want to deal with the fact that you have this really scary thing that is, I really can only move feasibly if I sell the thing versus if I find somewhere else to rent? I mean, that's that's something that hangs over people's heads that, you know, maybe is a little bit slapped on. I can say all I want about the fact that, oh, I'm I'm getting my money put back in. But if I'm living in the city for, for a rented 
apartment with friends while not having a car from a personal finance perspective the guy in in the suburbs or close to the city owning a home with a car from a return on investment standpoint in his entire life portfolio he might be doing the wrong thing uh, we don't really know how much this person's investing into the stock market that's renting i think there's actually an interesting case to be made regarding the five percent rule once again because uh, i'm going to pull up an article to to share with you really quick but um the thing is we work under the assumption often when people rent that they're not doing most financial things right right so that means that they're not doing what could be still good from a market return perspective because they're renters which is kind of a rude assumption right like they're stupid because they rent so therefore they also wouldn't reinvest in the S&P 500 so in theory there are two different types of things that occur when you you own a home you either pay towards the mortgage um and you either pay towards the not mortgage so the mortgage is the principal of the loan value and that means you're paying off something that you're going to get a return on but there are other things that happen there are property taxes there are maintenance costs there are capital expenditures and then hoa uh, fees hoa fees yeah people forget about that the cost of capital generally speaking is three percent maintenance costs are about one percent of your home value and property taxes are about one percent so that adds up to five and in theory if you are paying for an apartment let's say it's like a thousand square foot and you find it for the same cost five percent of the cost of um, what that value would be from a home perspective you can then make a feasible argument that renting is the exact same so stop being rude about it because it also comes with a lot less mental issues i personally think that that's something that's slept on no oh, it absolutely is slept on the fact that you don't have to worry about i mean like anyone who has owned a car or been responsible for a car knows what it feels like to have that kind of burden on you and i think that this is like an overarching kind of psychological benefit to not owning a car slash renting a home is that when you own more things as the ancient epicureans often remind us when you own more things there's going to be more stress often than there is benefit from that thing and it really takes a cost benefit analysis to realize whether it's going to be more harmful than good but yeah, in a lot of these cases, it can really be more harmful, especially if you're a new homeowner. You may not be in the like perfect situation to actually be buying a home. Maybe it's like a time when it's a little bit more risky. You don't have as much money like in now. your pocket. Yeah, like someone who's in their 20s. Like you could be taking a serious risk. Like, do I actually want to live here? What if like my home bur burns down? Or like, what if someone breaks in? Or what if even like a hole in the wall happens? Or like some kind of maintenance issue comes where you have to take care of your house and you don't know how to do that these aren't things that you have to worry about when you rent and so yeah there's like a huge psychological factor to that and yeah i mean like in the psychology of money kind of teaches us i think that morgan Housel's kind of overarching theme is that yes there are going to be principles that look really good on paper but if it doesn't make sense for you then the numbers are out the door to an extent you have to follow certain principles within like a, a range, but 
yeah, there's going to be a lot of cases where owning a house is just going to bring more stress. It's like you buy a house in Chicago and now you've tied yourself to the city for the next decade. If you're someone who's 23, are you ready for that? Yeah. And as a perfect example, I'm 24 and do you want to hear something crazy? Okay. So the 5% rule for when it comes to a mathematical equation is you take the home value that you want to compare it to and you multiply it by 5% and you divide it by 12 to see the break-even point monthly. Mm-hmm. Before the call, I told you that $750 a month is possibly what I could have to pay for um, like where I could be living maybe if I wanted to. Uh, $750 a month was, was the price. If you multiply $180,000 by 5% and divide it by 12, which is what I got a pre-approved for on my theoretical most I could probably buy a house for right now. It is $750. (laughs) I'm at the break-even point. This is one of the most meta possible examples of all time. We didn't stage this. I just figured this out right now. (laughs) So it'd be... At the break-even point with owning a $180,000 home. So you're right at the... You're right on the fence. Is that what you're saying? Quite literally would be the exact same financial choice whether you rented or owned a place or owned a place if i bought at the cap of my pre-approved mortgage yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. and so if you bought something a little bit cheaper you'd be paying a little bit less and but yet that psychological worry almost goes up even more yeah it's like i could pay like 160k for a place and maybe the let's do the break even on that 160k times 0.05 divided by 12 is $666 a month. Um, so, you know, it's like 125 or it's like that's a 90 bucks a month in rent for um, a lot of stress. So it's like it really is not always a one-to-one, especially in a market where houses are overpriced and mortgage rates are higher than they have been. Yeah, absolutely. Even though as we say, they've been better than they have been the past 50 years and like appreciation continues to go up. It's, you still can't ignore those mortgage rates. Like they're higher yeah. than they've, they've been in a while. And I got to say, the place I could find to live is the equivalent of somebody um, renting out a two-bedroom apartment with a, or a one-bedroom, splitting a one-bedroom or two-bedroom with somebody else. So I do have to say, splitting is required for this break-even point to happen. But it's kind of it's kind of an interesting conversation because I would prefer to have a roommate right now than live alone. Yeah, of course, of course. But and here's another thing that comes with the stress: is it do you want a roommate who is like your sub or who is your leaser? Is your sub who is your, yeah, who's your your rentor, or is he someone who is actually your roommate who you're splitting with evenly? Responsibilities are even, but mostly not on your hands; they're on the landlord's hands. And it's not something you have to, it's not a person you have to keep accountable. It's just something, somebody that you're living with. The dynamics are going to be very different. And then if you're talking about moving away from that break-even point in terms of the, the, uh, the value of that home, it's like, again, what, what are you risking here? Are you like living in a worse area that's going to cause you psychological stress? Are there mm-hmm. more, is it more of a fixer upper now? And like, you really don't even know what the exact cost will be after repairs or is there something that point. is hidden that needs to be repaired? All these things are going to creep into your mind too. And so it's like, yeah, it makes it tough, man. It makes it like, 
the, the numbers aren't everything. Yeah. And I think as, as a numbers guy, it's really hard to not think like that, but it, it's good that we're bringing this stuff up because something that's interesting, I'm sure you saw on Ali Abdul, Ali Abdul's video, the rental, the rent versus by causal calculator, which is made by Tamer, his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that thing was company. sweet. It, it's, it's wonderful. I think it's a, it does a great thing, which is actually showcased that it's gratuitous to say, God, I hate this language. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a little silly to say renting is just throwing money down the hole because property taxes are throwing money down a hole. Um, other things like capital expenditures and HOA fees, all those things add up. And for me, how, there are other ways to get similar monthly returns by doing things like rent hacking. Like, for example, if you live, you, you've brought this idea up to somebody before, like a partner and another partner live with two other people, right? So four people live in a two bedroom mm-hmm. because there's a bunch of partners around. Now, there's a lot of logistics about how that could obviously go bad really quick. Um, from a, you know, some people don't stay with each other and then, you know, causes problems. But in theory, you could do something like we did in college where it was really a three bedroom with a sunroom and we had one of the guys rent in the, uh, in that sunroom and then we lowered his rent in comparison to ours and we actually all paid pretty cheap rent for a lakeside view apartment. Yeah, no, it was, it was super solid and uh, you, you, you could hack it that way with a rent, but yeah, I guess you can do that with, um, with owner too. Cause like you can do the duplex thing, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. with there's the rent hacking and there's house hacking. Yeah, there uh, absolutely is house hacking from a numbers perspective will always work out better because of the, the basic, uh, fact that you're getting money back on principle more so than you are in property taxes, HOA fees, et cetera. Um, Versus the rent, like the HOA fees and the taxes, generally speaking, are always and the capex are always going to be lower than the total rent, um, in theory. So that means that you're always getting more than back than your because the home appreciation, yada yada. But right. if you're able to get four dudes in a four bedroom apartment, you're going to save a lot of money. It's going to be marginally worse than owning a home. Do you actually prefer that? I think actually where we find a lot of bad things is where. People live in Lincoln Park in one-bedroom apartments for sixteen hundred a month. That's bad. That's just bad for your finances. Yeah, that's where rent gets really bad. Where it's like the things that you're paying for are, I don't know, living closer to a nice area that you think would be fun, or like just living in a more expensive area that maybe doesn't even have everything you need. But it's like I get to live alone, and it's like a cool area to be in. It's like. You're paying for just like a, a lifestyle. And like, sure, that's fine if that's like what you need. But I think, again, Morgan Housel, one of the best pieces of advice he had in the psychology of money is you have to put this rigorous test on yourself mm-hmm. where you ask yourself, like, what is like the threshold of frugality that I can handle without adding on any more luxury convenience? And like, how can we get myself to a place where I'm living in a home? that meets that level of frugality and comfort without exceeding any more comfort. And I think a lot of people, when they rent, they get carried away with this idea of city living or living for an experience, paying for an experience. Because I live here, I will have X experience. 
yes, it's true to an extent that like you can be closer to things. Proximity is great, but like paying for a location like that, especially living alone, is only going to continue to multiply in expenses because of the lifestyle that it kind of enforces. Exactly. And I think something very interesting to talk about here is the fact that why it's concerning when someone rents 1500 a month when they're in their mid-20s or early 20s is that they're not making enough money to invest. So the reason that home ownership is, it seems like an enticing option for so many is because it almost seems like a great return because it's a forced savings vehicle. You're required to save money in theory because the money you're putting towards the home will be at least the same as what you bought it in theory by the time you sell it in like five, 10 years. That's what has been historically proven. But the thing is, if you take the money on cheap rent that you're not paying towards a mortgage principal and you put it towards the S&P 500 or general index funds in theory, and you're somebody who is able to do that consistently, you're very similar on the uh, retirement end. Like, what if I told you this? Based on what I'm doing retirement-wise right now, um, I'm going to share my screen again because I guess I don't want to get too much into uh, my own personal finances on screen. But sure, like this is like how much I have. You see mm-hmm. this number? Yep. This is in theory how long it would take before I retire. This is probably the return rate. This is about what I put in every month based on my 401k, my S&P 500, and my Roth. I just talked with the person who handles my finances and asked them to bump up my S&P 500 by another 250 a month. Mm. Like, if I'm not okay with this adjusted for inflation by the time I retire, like, <laughs> right? Because I could invest more than I currently am if I rented. The main reason I'd not is because I'm trying to bank like a, a grand or two a month and money to buy it for a down payment, right? Right. But if I instead move this number to like this because I'm not trying to get a down, like that's pretty good in retirement. That's pretty good, yeah. Right, because the prevailing idea is that you want to like, how much should you have to retire? Um, I want to be accurate on this and be like, there's a certain type of, there's a certain type of thing where you basically want to, okay, if you make 100, okay, at least 80,000 per year to have a comfortable lifestyle. So, say- of your final pre-retirement yeah. annual income, okay. So, let's work under the assumption that with this amount of money, I'm going to live for another, it's going to get taxed at this rate, about 20%. I'm going to live for another, after I retire at 65, 30 years? If I can't live off of that much every year. um, You did something wrong with your lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, like just to throw a ballpark, it's um, like bottom quarter six digits, okay? If you can't retire in bottom quarter six digits, man, you had some serious old person lifestyle inflation. Um, (laughs) So my point is like, if I rented at that rate by having a certain thing with friends for a little bit or something, and then I bought a house, I'm never, I'm not really screwing myself because in theory, by the time I had a house and stuff, I'd make more money and I could invest that same amount. Well, you know, so it, I don't know. There's, sorry, that was a big thing. No, 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 no. It makes a good point because I think one of the biggest underlying points here that really scores a point for renting over buying is that putting a mortgage down on a house and making payments is not 
a pure investment like you have in the notes here. Paying for your mortgage and paying off a house, putting money towards a house is not an investment purely the way that a yeah. stock is. It may not return the same way. You may lose value over time on that house. You never yeah. know what actually could happen and those add stresses on top of the fact that you're taking a financial risk that just isn't the same as with the long-term like aggregate stock market growth. Like it's just not the same. So funny enough, I think it's important to point out that in history, homeownership, you go up like three to 4% a year. That's historical returns. Mm-hmm. But you do not know if you bought a lemon, right? You do not know if you bought a lemon in the short term in any house you buy. So something to point out is if you buy an index fund, you do not have to put 20 or 30 grand down to buy into the index fund like you do with the house. But what happens is, what if you put 20 to 30 down in an apartment in certain parts of Chicago and the boiler breaks six months into you living there because it's built in the 1920s? All of your HOVA fees get hiked. You get asked to pay for it, basically. That thing isn't made anymore, so you have to pay for the fact that the building's putting in central air and central heating. Then you pay a certain amount of money. I don't know what it's going to be. Your HOA fees get hiked. This market's happening currently. Homeownership essentially has the same value for the next six years. So technically nominal value is down because of inflation. Yeah. So you lose money on the house in like five years. That's actually not unreasonable because if you want to get out of the area because you didn't like it, you could lose money. But in five years, the stock market is probably going to be up. And if not, you didn't have to put 20 grand into it in the first place. Right. And just because home value goes up three to 4% annually, when you're buying one home, you're not betting on the average like you are when you invest in the S&P 500. You're betting on one stat (laughs) in the whole thing. It's like there's some houses that have to be dragging that number down. And there have to be some houses that are pulling that average up. I don't know what the standard deviation on that is, but it has to be something. And so it's like, could you go in the red? Could you break even? Yeah, yeah, you totally could. Yeah. yeah. So all of this to say, consider different versions of renting. Don't rent by yourself, rent with a roommate. I feel like we covered a lot of isms about the viewpoint of homeownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to make one final point on renting here is one of the best things that renting can do for you is, and this will be a good transition, is to save you money in other manners, including like not owning a car. And yeah. Just other kind of stuff. I mean, like, of course, there's certain things you don't pick up typically. Like if you rent, you typically don't pick up your water bill. And so mm-hmm. that's like an expense right there that you don't have to pay for on top of HOA fees, property taxes, stuff like that. You can really save a lot of money if you are able to adjust your lifestyle by renting in a place that makes a lot of sense for you. And I guess we'll just hop into the the kind of auto owning a car versus not owning a car side of this thing is that if you're going to rent in a city, you need to be smart, only, not only about roommates and like how much that rent is going to cost, but like think about the lifestyle that is actually going to save you a lot of money. What are the public transit options? Where are the nearest grocery stores? Where's my work compared to where I live? Are there restaurants and like things that I like to do in my area? Is there a park near my apartment or do I need to be 
like traveling a, a decent amount to get to something that I want to do. If that's going to happen and cause you more psychological stress and potentially get you to a place where you want to buy a car or start putting payments down on a lease, that's going to add another payment, another finance that you have to pick up where you could just be, again, putting that money into the S&P 500. Exactly. And here's a perfect example of something. And I understand, by the way, that diversity can often be found in um, different types of things. So just having it in the stocks is not the greatest idea. Having in some real estate is fine. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into the fact that like historically the stock market has never gone down over a 20 year period um, or 15 year period. Uh, You could also put it in bonds. Uh, You can do crypto now. There, there is more diversity options than before. You can do real estate ETFs. So don't, don't give me that BS about like, (laughs) you're not being diverse because you can do, you can do real estate investing while renting now it's the only time where you've ever been able yeah it's not analog like it used to be like you don't have to own property to be diversified in the in the real estate market you could invest generally speaking into real estate index funds now not technically that's not the third etfs but you know um then you look at the average cost of owning a car nowadays it's anywhere between eight to twelve grand a year mattering on like just that's the average range, uh, more median to median to medium uh, range. And then you look at something like the CTA when it comes to the annual pass. I can't actually find an annual pass cost, but currently the 30 day pass is 75 bucks. So extrapolate that over a year, close to a grant. Let's say you pay a grand versus eight grand a year in transportation if you live in the city. That's pretty good. I don't know about you, but seven grand a year, putting back into the whole idea of you live in the suburbs where you own a home versus you live in the city where you, you rent with some friends or something and you use the extra money to invest it, you're kind of getting a lot of money back if you choose to not need the forced saving vehicle that is the home mortgage. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like the, one of the craziest things that I, I said to you when you were here over the the month you were here is that like you know with like the the crazy like novel gas price rise that we're experiencing currently that's not something i think about that's not something no. that has, i've thought about this entire time like my sister or like even uh bb who like lives in the city has a car these people come up to me and they're like do you know what gas is over on that gas station like down the street i'm like i have no idea i have no <laughs> idea what gas prices are here like i that literally has not spent like I haven't worried about that once this entire time because CTA prices have not risen this entire <laughs> time. And that's the only form of transportation I take. It's still two twenty five for the bus and two fifty for the train, despite gas prices just skyrocketing the past six months. Yeah, and I think even from another standpoint, you don't think you spent like seventy five bucks a month in CTA, right? You Probably not, and Probably no, like no, no, because I bike so much and walk so much because I live close enough to things like grocery stores and basically everything. My, my job is a bike ride away, grocery mm-hmm. store is a walk away, um, school is a walk away. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's rare that I get on the, the bus or train for half the year, and then the other half of the year, I probably get on it two or three days a week, I probably spend about 10 to 15 bucks half the year on transportation. So seven and a half bucks 
over the year a week yeah like if you're doing things right in this sense with transportation i guess something to hedge here is tldr on this i personally believe is live in the suburbs sorry bud you need it you need a car uh if you live in the city it's reasonable to not need a car you probably shouldn't have one if you live in like chicago la eh, not la you need one um new york the best cities for public transportation according to everything i've read it's gonna be new york city boston is really good chicago is phenomenal san Mm. francisco is really good and there might be a couple other that i'm missing that you can get away with but yeah la you can't anywhere in texas you most likely can't minneapolis i know is pretty bad but there's probably six or seven cities that you could get away with it. Seattle's pretty good, too. Do you want me to blow your mind with a stat regarding the cost of living average by state? Like, what place do you think from... So, the number one would be the cheapest, and number 50 would be the most expensive state. What number do you think Illinois is? Cost of living. Cost of living? I mean, it, that's a tough one, man, because it's like Illinois is like... Chicago, everything else. Man, it's probably... Honestly, living in Chicago is cheap for a city. I bet that we are probably 10th in terms of like cheap. That's not a bad guess. It's 14th. Um, We're 14th cheapest. mm -hmm. And if it's it's right behind Ohio, which has Cleveland versus Illinois and has Democratic policies versus... uh, Republican policies in Ohio. Can we talk about how like underrated that is? Yeah, the cost of living is cheaper and well, I mean, that could be a little conflated because you have Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Columbus. The population of I don't know, is the population the population I don't know. of Ohio is, is let's look. Ohio population eleven point six, Illinois population is 12.7. Okay. okay. So it's okay, a million okay. different. Yeah, it's a million different. That doesn't surprise me, actually, because in Ohio, you have three cities that are not as developed as Chicago. You have three cities where actually you still need a car, but you're living in a city where it's stop and go traffic. You're paying more for gas, still paying a good amount for rent because you're like in the city but you're not getting the benefits of actually living in a city like you are with Chicago. All right. Here's a big deal though. People don't know. Okay. So social security retirement. Okay. Here's something that people don't know. I mentioned this to Blake. Sorry. B B. Um, that was the first time I slipped up on that. We've done this. That's for the first years. time we've um, ever slipped up. Yeah. Wow. Jesus. Um, I miss explained it, but in States like Illinois, you're not taxed on your IRA in from a state perspective, but you're taxed on that in Indiana, which is cheaper regarding property taxes, and Ohio. So that means when your 401k comes out, you can get taxed at the national level for it when you pull it out, but you're not taxed at the state level, which is kind of huge if you have a big 401k when you retire. So from what these cost of living things put into perspective, they don't really have like income tax from that level of perspective <laughs> so all i'm saying is it if you're doing things well with your money and have a job with the, well, either you're self-employed and have a sep ira or you have a 401k from your employer 
you're probably going to end up better when you retire in Illinois than Ohio if it's like one place different and mm-hmm. point one point on this index. So just saying, there's a lot of different things that probably aren't factored into this index. Um, maybe it is, maybe I'm wrong. Either way, Ohio's rural for most part. Illinois has Chicago and has some ruralness. I just say that because it's interesting to me that Illinois gets slandered on by like people who live here for how expensive it is, but it's not that expensive. No, it's really not that bad. Like even Chicago, I mean, I live in a pretty decent four bedroom and I pay under under $600 to be in a solid location, safe neighborhood, really close to the train station. Like it's a good location. Like, is it the, the best apartment? Maybe not. But yeah, right. Yeah. I'm paying under $600 and not a lot of people were able to say that in other cities. Like I was even in Denver. When I was in Denver recently, I was talking to somebody. I was like, we were potentially going to stay another night. It was like a whole situation. And we go to this gentleman's apartment and he lives in a one bedroom that he's like leasing out into, like he's subleasing into a two bedroom right now. But it's nice and it's like nice for a one bedroom, sure. But he's paying almost $3,000. What did you just say? To be in a location in downtown Denver, which doesn't really have a lot of public transportation. They have one free bus that goes like on a short route, which takes him to work. But I look out his window and there's like 10 cranes, like 10 construction cranes I can see. So he's in the middle of like a developing area paying mm-hmm. almost $3,000 a month. Dude. Granny, he's making a lot of money, but, but, but like what, what is the loop? What are all these loop dudes um, raising the average rent price up for the city? Because I know plenty of people who rent solid sized one bedrooms in Lincoln Park. That is like a really nice area for any intents and purposes. If you're a human being alive in a first world country, if you live in Lincoln Park, you're living pretty, right? Oh, yeah. So it's like if you're renting a one bedroom in a nice part of Lincoln Park for like 1500 a month. And then you got your 1600 a month and you got people renting three grand in Denver, three grand in Denver, but that's for two people, right? And no, in, no, no. When he, when he split it with two, it's like 1300. That's what I'm saying. But even in theory, splitting in Illinois or in Chicago in good areas gets you to a grand or 800 or 900. Yeah. I don't. No, Colorado was so steep. That's ridiculous. And I'm looking up all these stats right now, just like on the side, and it looks like Chicago is seems one of the more expensive places in the world to live. But it's just blowing my mind because if you don't go for the high, I think a big point here is regarding houses, auto. If you don't go for the high ticket thing and go for like the the quality ticket thing, the mid tier thing, location wise, and you don't get the thing that's not on sale you're gonna get screwed but if you get the thing that's on sale or even just like a value buy versus a premium buy your finances are gonna be okay if you invest the difference exactly yeah they absolutely will be okay and yeah getting into like the the premium that you can pay in any big city versus just like mid-tier it's really like not anything that i see to be crazy different like if yep. you want to talk about like Chicago or like another major city, like does it add a little bit to your your commute? Sure. Yep. But at the 
the same time, you're in a house, you're in a place that probably has more houses, more like family areas that could actually be a little bit safer than some of those areas mm-hmm. like Lincoln Park. Um, yeah, it's just like it's it's, it's always a trade off, and it's like it, it's like the Rogers Park slander. Like <laughs> you and I lived there for five years. Okay, you're uh, I guess I'm I'm coming here on six years experiencing it continuously because I just went back and hung out with you guys. Mm-hmm. Like, is it me, or from like a safety perspective that place gets slandered, or what? I think the the issue with Rogers Park is that it's the northern edge of Chicago, and it's like you are kind of far away from everything. It's really not like the city's city. It's like you have like the Orthodox Jewish area. You have the Little India area. It's a lot of houses. Mm-hmm. You have Loyola and. Sure, it takes like 40, 30 minutes to get downtown, but there's a lot of great stuff that's on the north and northwest side of Chicago that you don't need to go downtown for. Like You can go other places and see really cool things, and Rogers Park is a great location to kind of like start from. Maybe it's not ideal because mm-hmm. everything is like at least 10, 15 minutes public transit or yeah. by car. So, like, yeah, there's, like, a slight difference there. You can live in Lincoln Park and everything is a five, ten-minute walk. But the way I see it, man, you're still going to want to venture out. It's, like, if you live in Lincoln Mm. Park, you're just going to want to venture further west, further south. And it's, like, that's the same amount of time either way. It's just, like, you're just adjusting the the, the center of the scope. Like, we also have Evanston that's really close to us. And someone who lives in Lincoln Park probably doesn't go up to Evanston and see, like, the really nice area up there. And so it's, like you're probably going to lead a similar lifestyle regardless of where you are in the city, <laughs> but you're going to pay mm. way more to be in a nice, quote-unquote, nicer area. I think thus is life, you know? Like, thus is life when it comes to, oh, but it's not as nice. Okay, well, do you want it to not be as nice for a couple of years, but you're at least set for retirement or what? Like, you have to do one or the other because we're not uh, because the median income is the median income, right? And the housing prices yep. and the rent prices and the home or so the auto ownership and leasing, those are the prices that exist. And the only thing that we have less left is increasing income and making financial decisions regarding how much money we spend with that income. So it's like tis what it is. Like Rogers Park, if you're living, do you remember the um the range that we're allowed as student athletes to live within. Yeah. 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 To get the, to get scholarship money to go towards housing. Mm -hmm. If you live in that range, you're safe, but it's way cheaper than the rest of the city. Oh yeah. It's way, way cheaper. So my point is like, there is cheap Chicago housing where you don't have to have a a car that is a 20 to 30 minute train ride for maybe a thousand dollars a year in transportation costs versus like eight to 12 for having a car. So like these decisions exist for people. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that you'll almost never pay a thousand dollars on the public transit. If yeah. you, if it is your ride to work every day, like five days a week, year round, like you're never going to work from home. You're never going to ride your bike. You're never going to walk. Then sure. Like, yeah, it, it actually could like add up to being a good amount. But I think there's a lot of cases where I would just say that you're kind of doing it wrong in that case. Because like, it's <laughs> yeah. not just Rogers Park. There are any, there's a lot of places or pockets, not just in Chicago. We can move away from the Chicago conversation. Is like 
sure. there are neighborhoods mm-hmm. in any kind of city that are going to be maybe, you know, not as quality of living. But hey, I mean, you're not worried about paying as much rent. You're maybe closer to your work where you're now able to bike or walk. And if you really don't like it there that much, you just saved up more money. You can go travel one more time than you could have if you paid more rent yeah. to have this experience of living in a certain part of the city. It's like, I think that city living really can be advantageous and a big money saver if you opt for cheap rent in an area that makes sense for you and factoring in the fact that you really want to have a car elimination or minimization in that area. And I think this is a hot take. You can, you can stop me right now if you, if you think I'm off base here. You can reasonably find friends to live with you and rent with you if you're surrounded by people who are interested in, in doing decently financially. While at the same, up until the point, plus or minus like 10% for, uh, let's say for a year of vacancy, right? <laughs> We're doing a calculation here. <laughs> Before you end up dating someone and then living with them right before you get married. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's always going to be people that want to do this with you. Like, and then by the your time, friends are finding those people yeah. outside. Yeah. And then by the time it gets too much, like you can end up dating someone and probably live with them by the time you get to that age. So let's not act like this isn't something that you could do. I think it comes back to like, you know, there's this whole student loan crisis and I don't want to mitigate anything because I have had very close friendships and relationships with people who've had large loans, but some of it was choice for some people, not everybody. But like when it comes to people renting, for example, I keep going to this idea of like renting for a $2,000 apartment in New York by yourself. Kind of a dumb choice. Like if you're making 50K a year, kind of stupid. Like, I don't know how else to put it. That was not financially advantageous for you to have any sort of future where you can retire. I don't care if you're making $100,000 a year. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you rather just pay even $500 less a month and put, I don't know, how much would that be? Like $6,000 into the S&P 500? Well, like, yeah. What could that turn into? That 10, goes into your Roth IRA. You put that in your Roth IRA and you max out your Roth IRA. It's your, your, you have $2 million of tax-free money when you retire. Exactly. It's it's kind of a silly, It's it comes to the point where I think, you know, you can always get ranty <laughs> about this um about the subject but just in general i think the question is whether you should or you shouldn't own something or where you shouldn't or shouldn't live somewhere really comes down to what do you want do you want to have the experience of living on your your own yes well either you're going to have to make up that amount of money and then invest that amount of money that you made up or you're going to have to change your living situation and invest that money you can't have it every way like, it just kind of is what it is. We live in this capitalistic system that just <laughs> kind of like is the, that <laughs> is just kind of the choice that you do have to make given the system. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, it can make sense both ways on paper, but it's what's going to make more sense to you. And I think one of the psychological things I want to get into and why I get so yep. ranty about this topic is because for one semester, I owned a car. If you'd like to continue listening to this conversation, you'll need to subscribe at riseproductive.com slash membership or on your favorite podcast app. 
Once you do, you'll get full-length access to these episodes of the Rise Productive Podcast, as well as access to our subscriber-only podcast and newsletter, The Weekly Pour Over.